0: Could you please pronounce your name correctly for me?
1: Sure. Lisa Melander.
0: And now you're the curator at the General Mills Art Collection, correct?
1: Yes, that is right.
0: Okay. I've tried to do research on the General Mills Art Collection. I can't seem to find much about it. So please give me a little background on the collection itself.
1: Sure. Yeah, and there I guess there's probably a reason why you can't find a lot about it out there because the collection is really here for General Mills employees and it's not open to the public. So we don't really have a strong public facing website or any information about it. You really have to hunt and peck for that. But the collection started in well 1958. That's when General Mills moved from downtown Minneapolis out to the suburbs where we currently are. The campus is in Golden Valley, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. Starting to build this multi-building campus, the CEO at the time, his name was Charlie Bell, he decided to buy art to put on the walls for employees to enjoy. and the Bell family, there's a history in Minneapolis. They were a philanthropic family. They had ties to the Minneapolis Institute of Art. So it seemed natural that he would be the one saying, hey, let's buy some art to put on the walls. So that's how it started. And over time, I I just feel really lucky that throughout the years and as leadership changed, that desire to have a really great art collection for the company that just carried on throughout the years and has always been supported, which I think is just phenomenal. So throughout the years, it I like to talk about it as if it's sort of like a living, breathing organism. It's not like a set it and forget it kind of collection. It's one that we're always culling and adding to a little bit. So throughout the years it it does kind of morph and change.
0: Okay, now how did you get to this position? Because you know a lot of the listeners to this podcast are sort of career, trying to build their artistic careers and stuff. So like, were your parents creative? Like what kind of career steps did you take? Like how did you even get into being mm-hmm. a curator?
1: Yeah, it's I guess a multi-tiered <laughs> long story, but it sounds like we have time for that. So I would say, like, as a child, I kind of always knew that art was my thing. Like, I always just knew that I wanted to do something in art. And I didn't really have, like, a direct art influence. But both of my parents grew up on farms, uh, dairy farms. And, you know, I think farmers in general just, they're used to, taking what they have and making do. And so I definitely saw that growing up. Both of my grandmothers were just avid quilt makers and seamstresses, like just always making something. And then even my mom kind of carried that along. For a while there, she made all of our clothes, <laughs> which at the time, <laughs> you do. Yes. At the time, I was like, okay, I guess this is how it works. And then I think realized once I really got into school that um no, most people buy their clothes at a store. And I think I was a little bit like embarrassed by it at the time. But now when I look back, I'm like, that was really cool. I mean, not many people except you and me can say that. So anyway, I think just that general sense of like making beautiful things out of nothing or out of very little, has stayed with me for sure. And
0: then what about like educations and things like this then after?
1: Yeah, so in high school, you know, I heard one of your podcasts where you were talking about the magic of the dark room. And in high school, my high school art teacher, Dennis Hatlily, who actually just recently passed away, he got our, there was a dark room in our school, which is kind of amazing because I went to a very small high school, but he got our darkroom up and running. And that just like lit something inside me for sure. So from then on, I was like, okay, photography is amazing. (laughs) And so I knew that. But when I went to undergrad, I started thinking, oh, I'm going to be a graphic designer because you know, it's kind of like the best of both worlds. You know, you've got You can be artistic, but yet there's a more clear path about what you're going to do when you graduate. I went to Minnesota State University, Moorhead, which is, people probably know it best by Fargo because Fargo, Moorhead are, (laughs) I know, Fargo, Moorhead are twin cities on the Minnesota, North Dakota border. So Moorhead is where I went to school. So it's way up there. But in some ways that was fantastic because there's not a lot to do up there. And it really made us all in the art program, just we were really into making art and it was a fantastic community. So that ended up being a really good thing for me. But when I started with the graphic design program and like the computer stuff started (laughs) was introduced, I wanted nothing to do with that. I did not want to make art on a computer. I I think I've actually said, I'm never gonna work on a computer. And now obviously like I do, but at that time in my life, I wanted something more tactile, more manual. So I switched majors into photography. So that's what my BFA is in. It wasn't so much like technical studio photography. So it also wasn't a clear path to like, oh, I can make a living from this, which was fine. At the time, I didn't really care about that. So what I was doing was like mixed media pieces with lots of alternative processes in the dark room. And it was wonderful. And I also took some art history classes in there. And I really liked those. But, you know, I think back to like 20 something year old me and there was a time where like I had graduated and then I was like, oh, now what am I going to do? Like I had no plan forward. And I think just being that age, you can do that more easily maybe, or at least I could. So one of my professors, my one of my art history professors had suggested that I pursue like an internship at a museum just to see what that was like. Because I was like, oh, I, that kind of sounds Interesting. I don't know. So I applied for a bunch of internships and I got one at the Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington, D.C. Me too. too. No way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So when were you there?
0: Bill Viola, I believe. No, that's the artist. Bill, Bill, Vi, I forget the guy's name. He was, I actually did an internship in high school with the Native American Studies uh, program at the American History Museum
1: that's amazing yeah being in dc was so fun did you have a similar yeah, experience Yeah. when was
0: i there? let's see i was there in uh let's see I was probably 1990 would be about the year that i did that okay i grew up in dc so yeah. oh you did oh. my mother worked at the air and space museum and like so we were sort of involved in all of that stuff i ended up going to the corcoran for my bfa so That's so
1: fun. It it was such a great city to be in at that time of my life. And I, I was there for this, an internship, knowing that it was finite. And I think that really helped me really dive deep. Every weekend I was out going to the monuments and the museums and just really trying to soak it all up. So after that internship, I moved back to Minnesota And there was a gallery in Minneapolis that I just thought, wow, like that, that's where I want to be. Like, that would be amazing. And one of my friends who I had gone to art school with had had a show there and he introduced me to the owner. This is the Weinstein Gallery, which is now the Weinstein Hammonds Gallery. And it just worked out. His one employee happened to be on her way out and he needed someone and we got along. And so he hired me. So that was really like my first official professional job, I guess, out of school. And that was amazing. I mean, being basically the only employee, I mean, we had a part-time employee here and there kind of as a preparator, like packing things and, schlepping things around.
0: I've done that job too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and at that in that job, I wore many hats. I mean, I did that a lot. I shoveled snow. I helped plan exhibitions. I did art fairs. I did so many things and really learned a lot about the art world in general, a lot about just how everything works. So that was just just a rich rich experience. And my boss Martin Weinstein, you know, has become just an amazing mentor to me throughout my career, so I'm just so thankful for that. And so the transition then from working in a small gallery where I was the only employee into being a corporate curator, here's how I it went down. I loved working at the gallery. You know, it was, like I said, it was my first job out of school. And I was just like, I want to see what else is out there. And I knew, so Target headquarters, that's in downtown Minneapolis. I knew that they had an art collection. And I knew that there was some activity around it. I thought, well, that would be great. Like something completely different. And this is something I did that I am so glad I did. And it took a lot of courage, but I just, I sat down with my boss and I said, basically, I'm, I just want to move on and try something new. And what I really want to do is go work at Target for their collection. And he ended up doing something for me that really changed the course of my career. So knowing that this is what I wanted and I had already sent some random whatever letters, emails to HR, you know, I mean, but if you don't have a specific like step in, it's very hard to actually get noticed. And there was no like job posting or anything like that. So I had tried and failed and just nothing was happening. And so my boss was at, I believe he was at a function at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. And he saw the CEO of Target there, Bob Ulrich, who's, he's now retired, but he is a, just a big art collector. There's a wing at the museum named in his honor. So My boss walked across the room and he didn't have to do that, but he did. He walked across the room. He spoke with the CEO of Target and said, You know, this woman works for me. She's interested in working for you. She's great, blah, blah. And he gave my boss his card and said, Have her contact me. And so that's what I did. And like two days later, I got a call from HR Would you like to come in and talk about? opportunities here. So I ended up getting hired. And I think that was another situation where I I don't fully know what was going on there. But I think there maybe had been someone dedicated to the collection who was on their way out. I'm not totally sure, but I they hired me. so So I was, I worked for Target as the curator of their collection for about eight years. And yes, huge change from the gallery, (laughs) like huge change. You know, I went from being the only employee to like one of thousands of employees. And it was a great experience, though, again, just huge learning experience in that change.
0: Right. Well, I mean, working for a corporate collection is very unique even you know i mean it 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 could be equated to like a museum thing but it's really not a museum because like museums are they work on committees and they have many different sort of things you know different intentions and purposes like like for instance like certain museums they have to do public programs in order Mm -hmm. to make money and all this kind of stuff but like a corporate collection is really an institution sort of insular in and in of itself, because it's more or less uh, this, and maybe I'm wrong on this, so please help me, but like more or less they're self-funded and then s- like they also are self uh, exhibiting, you know? So like you said, you they're pretty much, that you're the General Mills collection only shows basically on the General Mills property.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Target was similar to that where it was really just an insular collection Trying to think of, I guess what more I can add about that. Sorry, can you lab me another question about that?
0: Oh, it's no problem. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm. I want to let me make something really clear for, for okay. to, from the beginning here. I love corporate collections. I think they're magnificent. So nothing I'm addressing here is in any way trying to say anything bad about corporate collections. My interest, of course, as a practicing artist and as a Mm -hmm. professor, my first question should have been, how do artists get into corporate collections?
1: Okay, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's probably the same ways that they would get into any collection. I guess I can tell you about how I go about buying art for a collection, and then we can kind of bridge it that way. So I guess that when I was at Target, it, there was a bunch of different ways, actually. So one way was that some of the kind of higher-up leaders at the company who were, like, really into art just personally – they would meet artists maybe as part of their travels for the company and like oh lisa you got to check out this artist i just saw on this trip like this piece would be great in this space here can you reach out and kind of see what's going on with that so that was kind of one way you know or if those people had maybe there was some kind of i know there were a couple instances where the company had actually had a deal with an artist on maybe like some kind of marketing imagery or some kind of product for the store and so that was sort of the way in then there was like this whole other program that i worked on that was so so unique and so fun for me and probably for the artists so you know target obviously has these distribution centers all over the country They're like just these ginormous warehouses where they keep all the product and then the trucks pick up the product and send those to each store. So those distribution centers also have a little bit of office space and they're really all over the country. And one of our leaders at the time said, you know what would be great? Could we, like when we redo one of these centers or rebuild one, could we engage with local art students, like at the college level and buy their art and put their art in those offices? And so that was the idea. And so I took that idea and kind of made that happen. And that was so fun for, it was just like a win, 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 you know, because the people who worked in those offices were surrounded by art that they knew were made by students in their community. So this is like the undergrad or graduate level art students. I mean, I loved it because I got to see, you know, I kind of got to dip back into like art school world in my brain and just kind of have my finger on that to see what are what are people making these days? What's coming out of these art schools around the country so that was really fulfilling to me and then i mean obviously for the artists for them to have that sale of their artwork which i know is so important especially when you're just starting out and that you know they can they can now put on their cv that they have work in target corporation art collection so overall, that was just a really fun program. So that was one way. And then I guess the final way, which is kind of like how I do it now at General Mills is I typically work with galleries to find art and buy art. Sometimes I'll work directly with an artist, but it just kind of has worked. I've got relationships that I've formed with different galleries and I find that it's I guess, easier, to be honest, to go on a gallery's website and you can see the work. And they, like certain galleries have like a certain aesthetic. So I've kind of figured out which galleries work with our aesthetic here at General Mills. And so, you know, I can go on their website and look through, what, 20, 30 different artists' work. So that's kind of how how i found a way to go about that and sorry one more thing that i just remembered i do attend art fairs too occasionally not a ton and obviously pre-covid but like art basel in miami beach just because there's so many different side satellite fairs and art chicago or i guess it's now called expo chicago those are kind of the two that i have gone to And I just want to make clear, like, my budget for art is not huge. It is very modest and which I think is right. General Mills isn't buying art to, like, make these huge investments and go crazy. It's just let's buy some interesting stuff that's good for our walls.
0: You literally sort of answered my next two questions already, yeah. but I'm, <laughs> but I'll, I'll dig into them a little bit more. So, yeah. like, let's go back to the first one, which is the investments, which you just brought up. Like, a yeah. lot of corporations, their goal is to basically take money that they have in the corporation and invest it in art for the intention of growing they that uh, resource or that uh, I don't know financial. I don't know. I'm an artist. I don't know this stuff. Money, (laughs) grow, grow, grow money, you know, grow it on trees kind of thing. So, so the, so the, so basically it sounds like General Mills is not that kind of corporate collection.
1: No, no, not at all. I would say, I mean, generally we buy art by artists who are like in their emerging phase or maybe mid-career artists, but like, once it gets beyond that, it's, it's kind of out of our price range, to be honest. I mean, we want to be practical about what we're spending our money on. So, you know, and we've been collecting so long that, you know, as it happens, sure, sometimes an emerging artist back in the seventies, maybe now they've grown. And so it is now a big name, but On the flip side of that, there's a lot of artists in our collection that they maybe had a little flash in the 70s or 80s. And now, like when I do research on them, I can't even find their name. So like, you know, that's just part of (laughs) part of collecting. And, you know, the fun is really just about like having the physical collection here in our building and and living with it.
0: Well, I mean, that's part of it to me too, is like a corporate collection can only be, well, depending on its budget, I guess, could only be as big as its facilities, you know? So like if mm-hmm. your, if your offices are only so big, you can't, you simply cannot keep buying because then you're going to put things in storage and then that's going to cost you more money. And, and that's becomes a whole little issue in and of mm-hmm. itself. So, I mean, the, there's you mentioned earlier about culling the thing so like are you both purchasing and sort of deacquisitioning or like on a regular basis
1: yes yeah pretty much and that's kind of something that's just been kind of going on throughout time so i mean generally like the like the mission of our collection it it honestly is pretty broad but one of the things that we are trying to achieve is to have a contemporary collection, meaning that it's works that have been made recently, somewhat recently. And so because of that as a mission, you know, obviously time is continuing to march on. So some works are aging. So that natural process where we're letting things go that might be like older and don't, they just don't fit with, kind of who we are as a collection or as a company anymore. So yeah, that is an ongoing process that, that continues.
0: Okay, you mentioned the aesthetics of the collection. Mm-hmm. This uh, fascinates me. I, I actually got work in a, a corporate collection one time and they, they came to me and they said, oh, we love your work, we really love your work. Could you do, like I do generally like figurative base work. they like we I love your work, but, but could you do as a landscape? and i'm like you really don't seem to love my work if you want me to do something that's like a totally different thing so like i guess the question is sort of when it comes to the aesthetics like so like mm-hmm. when i think of general mills i think of very wholesome Uh, You know, so like I would imagine you have a lot of like some Rockwells or things like this kind of thing, like things that are very sort of Americana, very wholesome, probably some abstract works, some not you know, what I call like non-confrontational works, basically (laughs) things that won't offend anybody kind of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, is this what most of the collection really is or is this just my stupid idea of what a corporate correction looks (laughs)
1: like? Well, it's interesting to hear what you, as someone not from the outside of General Mills, but someone who's an artist would think that it would be. I think, I mean, in some ways you're close, but I think it might help if I describe the built environment a little bit more. So I mentioned, you know, that we started this campus started in the late 50s. And it's it's a beautiful campus. I mean, it truly is. And the first building, it's, a, it's designed to be like a series of buildings that are all connected. So it has the potential for growth. So like back in the 50s, I think it was just two buildings and now I think we're up to six or seven. But the first building was done by Skidmore Owings and Merrill out of Chicago. And it was one of the first in this style, like mid-century office buildings with a glass curtain wall. So one of the first in the upper Midwest, I should say, not the first ever. But so for this for this region, that was very progressive. And so we definitely have that mid-century modern vibe going on. However, obviously, like, that was the 50s. It's not like you walk in and you're like, oh, wow, this is, like, right back in the 50s. We've done a lot of modifications, and each building that we've added fits with that original aesthetic but is modernized. Generally, like, the aesthetic is the international style, so it's very clean lines, generally neutral palette. Although we do have we do have lots of pops of color. I'm not gonna lie. So
0: in the paint on the walls or in the art?
1: In the paint on the walls and the art. But anyway, so that's like kind of like the general feeling. And you know, I have to say that one of the things I love about being a corporate curator is the interaction of architecture and art and how they come together how they inform each other and i think you know maybe an outsider would think oh like like why would corporate architecture be interesting but it's really a dynamic environment and it's an environment that's constantly changing which is also really fun to be around so as the company changes and different things are prioritized, the way people work, the building changes, you know, there's always like some kind of remodel project going on. And, and so the art obviously has to respond to that. And so I work in a group of people who are interior designers and architects, and I love being embedded in that world. I just love talking about design and architecture and and art and
0: all of those things. Actually, would you bring up an interesting question? Do you work by yourself as the curator, or do you have a team? Like, so you know, a lot of people think that like being a curator is like a solo thing where you just sit and drink coffee and smoke <laughs> cigarettes and and just just think of things and you know be creative. But I mean, at the corporate level, I'm quite certain there's probably some team of people.
1: Mm-hmm. So I. I mean, I am within that team that I mentioned, but yet I am the only person that works with the collection and I actually only work part-time. So that's the extent of it. So that's kind of like how I'm positioned. But you touched on something about like, you know, if I'm just sitting sitting around thinking of ideas and but I wanted to talk about that that my job is really because I am kind of a one-person show in some ways. I do, again, like the gallery, wear a lot of hats. And it's just never dull here because I am required to do really detailed, like get in there on the database, like super nerdy stuff. But then I also have to be like a strategic thinker and think super high level about Where is the collection going? What should like the big, the big topics, what is that vision and everything else in between. And then also the ability to relate to and communicate with a lot of different types of people. I mean, you know, we work with, obviously there's lots of construction going on and we have quite a few outdoor sculptures on our campus that they're all aging (laughs) and being that they're in Minnesota it's the the weather here is just so harsh on that kind of stuff so we do a lot of work out there with those sculptures so I work with sculpture conservators I work with people in construction like I said the people on my team like architects designers all the way up to you know the executive team who helps kind of guide what that overarching mission is for the collection
0: so what is the overarching mission for the collection
1: <laughs> so currently
0: sounds yeah. like it changes so like what is it today
1: yeah so it's so the i would say the main thing is trying to have a current like a contemporary collection and like i said it's it is very broad but i think broad is okay in this setting because really we want the art to not everyone's going to connect with every piece but we have enough variety and it's pretty eclectic that I guess the wish is everyone can connect with some of it right And, and like some of it so right now we're really trying to diversify the collection in terms of making sure there's a bunch of different media and different Types of subject subject matter, so it's not all abstract. It's not all landscape, and and I'll go back to that. I want I realize that I didn't quite finish when you were talking about what you thought the collection would be, but and then also trying to diversify, like who are the makers of art in the collection, and we are a global company, so we're trying to make sure we have artists from other countries besides the United States. So then within that, then there's also this whole like really practical side of what that mission should be. And it's, it's almost like what it can't be. So we want art that lives in this environment easily. So we just can't take on art that requires extremely complicated maintenance programs around it. Right now, we don't have any video or sound pieces because they're just kind of too hard to have here. They can't be too small. I mean, this is very, very practical stuff. They can't be too small. They can't be too large. They just have to work here, you know?
0: Great. What is the optimum size for your corporate collection?
1: (laughs) I mean, I would say probably between like two feet by three feet up to like four by six feet i would say most generally speaking
0: that sounds legitimate yeah i mean because you don't <laughs> well because if it's too small it gets lost on a large wall and you you have off because from what i understand if i read it correctly the the corporate. Part of the corporate collection is that you actually allow it, the works to be in individual offices. So every, so it's not like you have a, yeah, you don't have like a gallery o- on the campus that people have to go to, but it's actually integrated into their office spaces. And so you know you, they've got to be re- small enough to fit in an office, a small office space, but potentially big enough to be, be in one of the the bigger office spaces. Mm-hmm. And then of course the hallways and the lobbies and everything else. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of practicality. My mother was an interior designer, by the way. Oh, wow. Oh,
1: great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I've got a little (laughs) sense of this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so we do, we do allow employees who have like a dedicated office to choose art from the collection. We do have a gallery space in quotes. It's actually just a really large hallway, but it's has a lot of foot traffic and that's my opportunity to put together small exhibitions from our collection. And it's nice because it's a way to bring things together that we wouldn't have the space to bring them all together and explore things within the collection, like themes. Sometimes those themes relate into something else that's going on in the collection. But I actually wanted to go back to when you were saying like, What you envisioned the collection might look yes the aesthetics of the collection yes the aesthetics of the collection
0: yes the the very very uh, uh, PG maybe even G (laughs) right like I I cannot imagine of all corporate collections in the world that General Mills would have anything not what I would define as like wholesome and I mean that in the nicest way yeah it feels like a very wholesome collection to me that would be my outsider's perspective on Mm -hmm. what i expect you all to have
1: i definitely i mean yes it's pg for sure however that does not mean that it's boring and i think that there are and i'm not not implying that that's what you were saying but i just want to like for the listeners just so that they know
0: well i'm just saying like i don't imagine you own like a robert (laughs) maplethorpe
1: we actually do
0: Whoa! It puts one of the flowers there, yeah. was not it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Saw that yeah. coming. Okay.
1: Yeah, we wouldn't. Yeah, we wouldn't be able to own the other ones. So my predecessor, actually in this position, he was here for like thirty-five years. So I mean, and he's amazing, and he continues to be a mentor to me today. And he always described the collection talked about it in and and I have to say most of the collection is from like his vision like that he collected when he was here it's within the corporate appropriate realm but it's pushes the boundaries a bit on pieces and you know he always loved it when people would come up to him and be like ah like that thing you just hung, I don't like that. Why Why did you pick that? That was a good sign to him that people were paying attention and that these weren't just like these boring, pretty pictures on the wall, that it was actually like kind of activating people. And I like to think of the collection in that way, that it, it some pieces are going to make you like stop and go, oh, huh, what's that, you know? so i think with the aesthetics it's trying to find that sweet spot of it's not just a pretty picture but it's not a robert maplethorpe (laughs) non-flower but it's like somewhere in between
0: that's it i mean there's lots of artists in the world that make works that would be perfectly acceptable in any Mm -hmm. office space so it's not like it's hard to find art like that exactly okay what about Mediums, like, because you mentioned that, like, you don't do video, you don't do sound, that you're having, to, you know, having to bring in conservators for outdoor sculptures and things like this. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a primary? Do you do? I know that you have some, like, Alex Soth photographs. Mm-hmm. So I know you have photographs. Is it like so? Painting works on paper. Like, what's the sort of um primary? Like, do you have? Do you know like the breakdown? Like, how many of what each different <laughs> medium you have? Do you have a spreadsheet that you could show me? <laughs>
1: I mean, I do have a database that I could look look up these numbers.
0: I knew you did.
1: (laughs) Yes. But I would say generally it's really balanced. All the mediums you just listed there's paintings, drawings, definitely photography, you know, that kind of mysterious mixed media, and a lot of fine art prints. So, like, we recently purchased some. Prints from Paulson Fontaine Press in Berkeley, California. And here locally in Minneapolis, High Point Center for Printmaking. So we do a lot of prints. I think one of the fun things about our collection is, like, for example, we have a Picasso print. And that, I know, that's like, everyone's like, oh my gosh, a Picasso? We have a... And the thing is, it's a print. It's signed and like, editioned but if you went to sell that it wouldn't be worth very much money but a, in a lot of cases we have like a print by an artist who's a wow name and i think that's really fun for the employees because you know they can say wow we have a picasso but it's-
0: i have a calder alexander calder print here in my office and i have a chagall in my hallway but they're just prints and they're probably worth maybe $300. Yeah. But it's really <laughs> lovely to be able to say, I have a Chagall and I right? have a Calder. Yeah? yeah,
1: exactly. And we have a couple of Calder prints as well, so.
0: Okay, but within that, like this is something, okay, let's go back to I'm an mm-hmm. artist and I'm fascinated by collections. I'm a photographer so like my innate thing is of course I have to frame my works and things like this so the question Mm -hmm. that I'm leading to is basically like when you are thinking about purchasing works for the collection do you only look at things that are basically fully presented and ready to just install or do you all buy like loose artwork not framed or ready to be presented, whatever, and then do the framing yourselves. Or do you do you Mm -hmm. even buy frames and then like throw them away and put it in your own corporate frames? Like how (laughs) does that all work?
1: That's a really good question. So it's a mixture. I mean, it can be framed or unframed, but most of the time if it comes framed, we're gonna change the frame. And that's not because something is wrong with your frame but it's like getting back to aesthetics there is a certain look a certain aesthetic that we have here that all of, so if you all of a sudden throw in like some super like fancy ornate gold frame like that's not going to work unless it was unless it's an artist frame and the artist considers it part of the artwork that's obviously a totally different story but yeah, for the most part, we will probably have it reframed.
0: Okay. Within that, when I was growing up and when I was in school and everything, it was always black, black frames, white mats, black frames, tradition. Now it's much more like white mats, mm-hmm. white frames to allow mm-hmm. the the works to sort of stand off the wall and the frames to recede a little bit more. So like. I also worked as a framer for a couple of years. I've done lots of things. You've done everything. So, <laughs> I, I've done lots of things, I <laughs> would say everything. But so so the question is like, so what's the current sort of uh, use? Like what kind of frames do you all see as sort of appropriate for this kind of settings?
1: Mm-hmm. So I have to say I work with, just to give the shout out, I work with a local framer here in Minneapolis called ArtServe they do amazing custom frames, they can basically make anything. So while I sort of have a general parameter of like what and what the aesthetic is, I pick frames for the artwork. So like, what is the profile that's going to look best with that particular work of art? What is the material? Is it, you know, wood grain? Or is it black? Or is it white lacquer? or Whatever it is. And any piece that I have reframed, I go to their shop and we lay it out on the table and like really make sure that that is the right frame for that piece. Cause I mean, that frame is going to be on there for years, hopefully.
0: Well, actually it then lends to another question which yeah. was supposed to be, you talked about how like you are buying and selling works from the collection. How long do pieces stay in your collection on average? Mm-hmm.
1: A long time. I mean, pieces that have recently been like deaccessed were pieces from like the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. I would say most of the works in our collection are purchased right around the time that work is made. Because again, you know, we're trying to buy things that are really recent. So yeah, we're talking like 40, 50 years being in the collection.
0: Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, and not that the framing has to last that long, but hopefully it lasts like twenty years. I don't know. You never know, though. Aesthetics can change.
0: Well, and technology's changed. I mean, thirty years ago, UV protecting glass wasn't even Mm -hmm. a thing. So, like, there are certain uh, technological advances, and also plexiglass back then was very different than plexiglass now. Like, it's Mm -hmm. actually quite good as far as non-square or being scratch resistant now.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing, like the products that are out there.
0: Absolutely. All right, you talked about conservation as well. Now, I'm fascinated mm-hmm. because you have outdoor sculptures in a non necessarily incredibly hospitable neighborhood. <laughs> so like how much time and effort is a as a a corporate collection person like do you have to put into conservation so not necessarily just the sculptures but just like in general Mm -hmm. conservation versus you know acquiring or or putting up new works
1: Mm -hmm. well with our outdoor sculptures and it's not you know it's not that the neighborhood is Like rough, it's the weather. Um, Correct. Yes. No. I did not
0: imply that. No. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry if anybody misinterpreted that. I meant it as not hospitable because of the cold, you know, windy weather.
1: Yeah, the freeze thaw cycles really get us here. With conservation, it kind of ebbs and flows. And I would say, you know, during the summer months, that's our opportunity to do any conservation work on the outdoor sculptures. I would say, I don't know, percentage-wise of my job, 10
0: to 15% maybe? It's a little higher than I expected, but not a lot.
1: Yeah, and I would say that the majority of that is because, so I'll give a little history on the outdoor sculptures, that in the 1980s, there was a bunch of construction going on on our campus. And... The roads were kind of like sandwiched in between two highways and those highways were being redone. And anyway, there was just a lot going on like landscape wise. And General Mills hired a landscape architect to come out and do like a master plan of the whole campus. And then the CEO at that time, who is also a big kind of player in the art community here, He had the idea to, hey, let's, as part of this master plan, let's commission artists to do these sculptures on our property. So in the 80s, I mean, I don't know, I think there were maybe like eight or nine significant pieces commissioned for this space. So all of those pieces are kind of since they all went in at the same time now they're kind of like all aging evenly and now is the time when they're all really needing a lot of work so the past 3 or 4 years the conservator that I work with we've been putting a lot of effort toward that and just getting them kind of like stabilized and kind of in a good spot so yeah that's that's part of it and it's You know, it's a significant when anyone who's going to think about putting an outdoor sculpture on your property, it's a significant commitment. You know, it really is.
0: I I do know I actually ran a public sculpture program (laughs) as well.
1: See you have done
0: everything. <laughs> I have not done everything. I've just done a lot of things again. It's like but I mean unfortunately I didn't do any of these things really well or I would still be doing them. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but I mean I've been the the issue of putting public sculpture is is a whole another thing but of course you're on private property so more Correct. or less you can put whatever you want which is great mm-hmm. I did it on public uh land so of course I caught all kinds of grief from the public about like why are you putting this ugly thing in our neighborhood and I'm like because I'm trying to make you think that's what <laughs> I'm trying to do so yeah anyways um <laughs> Okay. You've been very elusive as far as like what's in the collection. Are you willing slash able to say like, maybe like some of your favorite pieces or maybe some of the more prominent pieces you all have?
1: Sure. Yes. I can definitely share that. You did mention Norman Rockwell.
0: I knew it was there.
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting because they don't really fit with like what I've described however they are significant to just like the heritage of the company because back in they're from the late 30s so in the late 30s green giant commissioned norman rockwell to do these illustrations for just for advertising purposes to sell a product and so the paintings were done i guess as the story goes. Green Giant wanted to advertise peas, and Norman Rockwell didn't wanna do paintings of people <laughs> eating peas. And I guess it makes sense, because like, compositionally you can't do a lot with that except they're in a bowl and you eat them. So he said, "I w- I can do corn. So it's these little vignettes of people eating corn on the cob. And they're very sweet and very wholesome, just what you would imagine. And so those are those are great. And those are obviously just kind of unique in terms of like the rest of our collection. And then as far as the other pieces in the collection, it's fun because we do have a mixture of pieces. We always have supported Minnesota artists. So we we do that. But then, as I mentioned, we're also trying to like reach out globally. So it's it's a big net. One of the pieces we have, which is wonderful, is Charles Biederman, who is from Red Wing, Minnesota, which is pretty close to here, did these painting slash sculpture constructions. They were like metal, flat, hang on the wall, but then they there's pieces of metal that protrude. So we have one of those, which is really wonderful. Probably one of our kind of biggest names in terms of like contemporary artists is we have a Carrie James Marshall portrait called Den Mother. So it's a portrait of a woman who's in like, I guess like Boy Scout, she's like a Den Mother. So that is fantastic. One of my personal favorite photographers is Abelardo Morel. he does pinhole images so but his camera is an entire room often the piece we have is like i don't know if it was his apartment or a hotel room somewhere in new york where he darkens the whole room and then just leaves like a little pinhole and then you know has the paper on the background you know all about this and
0: i do now that you've explained it i know the work
1: yeah. And then the image that comes through is upside down. And I guess you probably have to see it to really like, you know it, but like for people who don't know this, they're probably like, what is she talking about?
0: I'm pretty sure. <laughs> is this the one with the bed? That's a, it's a, There's a bed and then I think it's like the Empire State Building is upside down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, know, I, I know the work. I'm really great visual. I'm a visual artist. Of course, I'm good with that stuff, but names I'm not so hot with. So yes, I yeah. know that work.
1: Yes. Yeah. We have again I'm in a mina, Well, I guess he was a North Dakota artist, but James Rosenquist. We have a couple of huge screen prints by him that are so fun. They're just so bright and colorful and kind of weird like just a weird amalgamation of images put together. One of my favorite pieces is by Mike and Doug Starn.
0: <laughs> I, I love them
1: right they were mm-hmm. like in college like when I was pursuing my BFA I mean they were definitely my biggest influence and so then when I worked at the Weinstein gallery and we represented them so here's like I love the, the piece we have it's from their Blot Out the Sun series where it's and it's two trees there's like encaustic on top And it's huge. It's probably like 60 by 70 inches or something. It's big. But for me personally, another layer is when I worked at Weinstein Gallery, my predecessor here, Don McNeil, bought this piece from us at the gallery. So now I'm here and I get to take care of it. So I really like that as well. We have a couple of Robert Longo like the black and white dancing people; mm-hmm. those are very fun. I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, but. I guess I'd
0: have to cut you off, though. But yeah, <laughs> are there any other sort of ones that are sort of you just really, really want to mention?
1: I I think I am good. There's, I mean, I really could go on, but I think those are the highlights.
0: Okay. Well, something that I was thinking about when you were just talking about all this is like, okay, so is every piece that's like, let's say like owned by the collection on display or do you have anything in storage?
1: Yeah, also great question. Most of the pieces are on display. I mean, I have a storage room. It's quite small. I would say it's mainly storing pieces that... They're like, I'm not going to show them again. They're kind of like on their way out or they need a new frame or they're just kind of like in transit. So like maybe, you know, we're redoing a space. So I took the art and I'm just storing it until that space is ready to have it go back up. So not a significant storage.
0: All right. You work for you are the curator of a contemporary art Corporate collection. Mm -hmm. So the question would for me would be: Do you have like maybe three artists that you're looking to that you're hoping to collect?
1: Oh, this is tough. I actually. Are
0: you not legally allowed to say anything?
1: I I probably I mean I probably shouldn't, but I what I can share is I would love to share three contemporary artists that we recently collected.
0: Lovely. That's great.
1: Okay, so there is an artist who is she lives in here in minnesota and she's part of the lakota nation and her name is diane Whitehawk and
0: i'm sorry i'm laughing <laughs> my father did a mission at lakota sioux so like i actually have relations oh my gosh, this, lakota sioux i feel as well.
1: like i feel like everything i say you're like oh yeah like i have a connection there and a connection there it's great <laughs>
0: I forgot to mention, wait, no, I forgot to mention, when I was in high school, you know how they give those aptitude tests for, like, career goal things? Yeah. I took it, and and they, they said I should be either a curator, which I was like, huh, oh, that's interesting, or a mortician. <laughs> Somehow they seem to think that the, somebody with the skills and aptitude for curating also would be a good mortician. I found that really weird. <laughs>
1: I don't know how to take that.
0: (laughs) I I didn't either at the time. I'm going to have to stew
1: on that one for a while.
0: I went with the idea of like working solo (laughs) and making things beautiful. I don't know.
1: I mean, I get it.
0: (laughs) I kind of get it. My brother ended up being a mortician and I ended up going into the arts. So like a little bit of both. Oh
1: my gosh. Oh, okay. Well, so.
0: Lakota Sioux. Go ahead.
1: Lakota Sioux. So Diane Whitehawk, and she did this just amazing series with High Point Center for Printmaking. And it's a series of four dresses. I mean, they're prints, and they have lots of different layers on the surface of the paper. But the imagery, it's these four different traditional dresses. And the dresses, the, the series represents the ways in which native women take care of their community so like each dress has a different name it's like create and nurture and i can't remember the other two but they're just fantastic and i think that's just a huge asset to our collection that's just going to add so much another artist that i purchased a series also a series of four i don't know just happened the two that I'm talking about are a series of four. And actually, so anyway, her name is Erin O'Keefe and she's a photographer. And actually now that I say, I bought four of the pieces for General Mills, but I don't know if they were necessarily a full series. I think there were more in this series, but they're photographs, but she constructs these little, I don't even know how to properly describe it. She uses like plywood, and pieces of paper and paints them in such a way that it looks flat. And it is flat because it's a photograph. But it it looks like as if she did a line drawing on a piece of paper and just colored it because it's so flat. But there's little giveaways in the photograph that you can discern, oh, wait, that actually recedes into the distance. And then you kind of understand that this is actually a three dimensional, I don't wanna, diorama, I don't know if that's the right word for it, that she made to look flat. Anyway, Erin O'Keefe, if you look her up, you'll you'll see.
0: I will put show, the links to all these artists in the oh, show notes. Oh,
1: perfect, okay, that's great. And then another artist that we recently acquired, one of her works is Carla J. Harris. So she creates these almost like mythical scenes and I I can't recall right at the moment if she's always in them. The piece that we purchased, she is. So it's like a self-portrait that she draws on mythologies. So the title of the one that we bought is called Sphinx and she's kind of in a position that kind of looks like the Sphinx a little bit. But they're just like kind of whimsical, I don't know, they have like some gold in them. They're just really, really lovely.
0: All right, and my last question is the same, is uh, advice. Uh, so for yeah. your perspective, it could be advice to artists uh, about how to maybe work professionally with corporate collections, or it could be potential young curators that want to get into your profession.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think a couple of things. I think one is more of like a broad piece of advice that truly anyone could use, but that helped me like that story that I was saying how I went to my boss at the gallery and I told him like what I want. And then he did something great for me. I think generally tell people what you want. Like if there's something you're striving for and you know what it is, people really do want to help.
0: I want a retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art in New York.
1: (laughs) Done. (laughs) Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, it truly is. No, I mean, truly, like, there's no way that someone can help you get what you want if they don't even know what it is. And I realize sometimes the problem is that you yourself don't even really know what you want, but whatever you can share with others, like, like I said, people... Gen- I, I, I have found people want to help. So I think that's that's one thing. And then another thing, like I host people here, like people in you know the Twin Cities who reach out and they are like art history majors or they're curious about the field. And I'm happy to do informational interviews with people about the career path. And what impresses me the most is when The people show up and they're like really prepared. Actually, one informational interview I did with someone, she had done so much research on the General Mills collection. She actually pulled out a a couple of facts that I didn't even know. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's amazing.
0: I feel very unprepared now. (laughs) How did this person get this stuff?
1: Well, I don't know. (laughs) She was so, she just, I could tell that she was just, so excited to be here and like prepared. And I think that stuff just goes a long way. And then this is super old fashioned. I still live by this. Send a thank you note after you, you know, if someone gives you their time and like you, you know, make sure to say thank you. It's, it's really simple, but it really, I can't tell you how, how much weight that really has. And it doesn't have to be a handwritten note. It can be an email, but just that acknowledgement. But it's not even the acknowledgement, it's also that follow up because it keeps your name top of mind in that person's brain, frankly. And then I guess, you know, just generally like seek, you know, any opportunity you have to talk with someone in the field. Or even, I would say, like any little piece of like experience that you can get, that you can add to your resume, even if it's small. I think it's fine, it shows that you're trying and it shows that that's the path you're going down and that you're interested in it, so.
0: Okay, there's a question that just sort of rattled around in my brain from what you yeah. just said, that I didn't really, I'm not sure if I didn't ask it or if you didn't answer it, I'm not sure which, but anyways when you're working, okay, so you said you mostly buy through galleries. hmm Now, when, so you've, and over the years, you have sort of found galleries that carry works that are of your aesthetics. Okay, I yeah. understand that. That totally makes sense. hmm Now, then even getting more finite into that, like, so like, then how do you really sort of choose? Like, mm-hmm. like if, you, if you, I guess the question is like, okay, as a corporate collection, because that's one job I have not had, as a corporate collection, how, it, it, is it basically like you're given a you have an annual budget, and then you say, okay, what can I fit within that budget? And you know, or and then this is the hole that's in our collection. We want to fill something with that, or is it? Oh my gosh, this gallery just picked up this new artist, and they're absolutely astounding. I need to be sure to buy something now while it's this price point. Like, like what? What's the sort of dynamic of how you? keep in touch with that and make these decisions.
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's a mixture of probably both things that you said. So it's, I mean, obviously I can't buy anything if I don't have budget, so there has to be budget there. And then, yes, I look at the collection as a whole and think, where do we need to fill in some gaps, whether it's trying to make sure that the artists in our collection are diverse or, wow we have a lot of landscapes or i don't know what it is but like you know just making sure or like i don't know something that's that's lacking so there's that but then i also even when times of the year when i don't have budget i'm still always looking and i'm still i have a list of things a list of names of artists that for kind of like when the day comes when i might have more budget be sure to go back and look here at this artist. And and I just wanna, you know, like, yes, I have these galleries that I kind of go to, but I am also like constantly looking at new artists and new galleries and it's just, I'm always looking at images.
0: Okay, you just brought up one last thing. I know I said last thing yeah, three no, times no, already, right. but like you brought up <laughs> diversity. Is this something that is important to the corporate collection? So like diversity of women, diversity of race, Mm -hmm. diversity of whatever other kinds of Mm -hmm. forms of diversity that are involved in this. I mean, is this something that you try to actively do or is it just like, I only buy the best works?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say that over the past year, it's become more deliberate. You know, I was kind of going into... 2020, you know, it's the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote in the United States. So I thought that would make sense to really focus on women artists for that year. So then I kind of did like a deep dive into our collection. And, you know, after what happened with George Floyd here, that tragedy, then I even did a deeper dive in our collection. It was like, well, wait now, who are the artists in our collection and, and really looked at it deeply and realized that there is an opportunity to increase the racial diversity in our collection and also increase the amount of women in our collection. It's something that has, it's not a criticism of the General Mills art collection. Like what have they been, you know, it's, this is obviously, I think most people who listen to this probably realize that, this is kind of what's been going on in the history of art. And I think the tide is turning and that, you know, generally like the canon of art history is starting to include more of the people who have been excluded in the past.
0: All right, any last topics that we you want to expand on or that you didn't get to, that maybe that you want to bring up that I didn't even ask?
1: I don't think so, Matthew, I think we've, We've really covered so much, and you let me just kind of go where where the conversation wanted to go, and so I thank you for that.
0: Yeah, that's the way this podcast is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a journalist. I don't come in with any—I literally come <laughs> in with no questions, and I try to listen to your expertise, because— when I started the podcast early on, like, I literally had a script, I had series of questions that I was like, so like my first like 10 episodes are, are literally me like, okay, check, they answered that question, next question, and they had nothing to do with each other and had nothing to do with the, your expertise and your knowledge and stuff. And so I learned very quickly that one of the better ways to do this is to be more of an active listener and sort of say like, okay, what kind of knowledge do you have, not what kind of knowledge do I want to get from you? (laughs) Very different,
1: yeah. Okay.
0: Thank you very much for your time.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: As you all know, I'm generally pretty bad with self publicity and I don't ask for help very often. So I'm gonna do a rare thing and ask for your help. It's very uncomfortable for me to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. When it comes to the algorithm, I've learned that one thing that does work to help podcasts gain more attention is to get ratings. So I would appreciate it greatly if you would go and give us five star rating or any rating if you don't believe it's five star worthy and some review. Great show love the guests, anything like this, something, it doesn't have to be long, but it, the more the, the people, the sheer volume of people doing it helps us immensely to gain a larger and broader audience. So I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a second and go into where, however you're listening to this podcast and give some sort of a star rating or a comment, any sort of feedback will help us greatly. And I would appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast, The Wise Fool, is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein and Norway, in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunstszentreny in Norge in Norway. Links to the EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.